Welcome to Any Way You Want It. I'm your host, Kaylin McDuff. I'm an LA-based coach for women who want to create lives based on desire. Here on the show, we like to have real conversations about sex, relationships, and life through talks with everyday people, experts, friends, and everything in between, I give you a plethora of options, different relationship models, new mindsets, perspectives, and paradigms. Listen for what sounds interesting to you and follow that. This is just the beginning of you having a life designed entirely from the specificity of your desire. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Any Way You Want It. Um, I am joined today by Leah Ayella and Shai Fishman. Um, together, they run a company called Leveled Up Love. And I'm going to tell you more about what that is in a minute. But first, thank you all so much for being here. Oh, thank you. It's really um, a pleasure. <laughs> and they, um, so Shai and Leah took a spontaneous trip to Florida this week and we had to move the recording. And when we did, I thought, you know, these are my kinds of people <laughs> <laughs> who are booking a last minute trip to Florida. So um, thanks for making it happen, even in the midst of all of your travel and all of your desires. Oh, that's how we roll. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, so I want to just tell my audience a little bit about, you know, who, who you are, who you all are in the world. Um, so when Shai and Leah started their polyamorous relationship a few years ago, um, they were really unclear on all of the facets of open relating and just, you know, how it works and how you can really be, um, be in, deep in relationship with it. And, and and be empowered around it. Um, so they didn't really understand their individual needs and their desires. And um, they also started to realize how many different styles of open relating um, exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, so over the past five years, they've really amassed a wealth of knowledge, both through research, but also just their own personal experience. Um, and they, through that, um, they really grew a desire to help others. And so from that, they created their company leveled up love. Um, and, uh, they also have a Facebook community where they have over 6,000, 6,000 people from all over the world who are learning about, um, really conscious polyamory. And, um, and so they've become, you know, sort of a go-to in the ethical non-monogamy, um, sphere. And I had reached out to them, um, because, you know, as you all know, I, my, one of the things that I love doing here on the show is just exposing you all to a variety of mindsets and relationship styles and ways of thinking about your desire and your relationship. And, um, and so my intention today, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not attached to if you want to be polyamorous, uh, or monogamous, or, you know, there's 9 million styles of open relating. Um, I'm really not attached to whatever your desire is. I want to bring this conversation today because I think that, um, there is so much gold 
in um, talking to people who have really walked the walk and, and talked the talk in the polyamory world um, because it takes a level of consciousness to do it well. <laughs> like I'm sure you all can tell us, you know, there's, there's so many misconceptions, I think about what polyamory is. And so I want to debunk that. And I just want to offer you, regardless of whatever your relationship style preferences are some tools and ideas around how you can really be conscious in relationships. So that is, that's my intention for, uh, for the show today. And, um, wow. Thank you for bringing <laughs> attention. Thank you. Nice yeah. Intro. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's just like start. I want to get into your story, right? Cause I think we're going to learn a lot from your story, but just as like a baseline, can you help ground us in what is polyamory and open relating and just, you know, all these words that I think are thrown around in the world and, uh, have a lot of misconception around them. Hmm. Yeah. Well, since I start, got into it first, do you want me to go first? Okay. It's usually ladies first, but <laughs> it's sequential. We're breaking all the rules today. <laughs> so this, I, I was really good at monogamy, by the way. You know, hopeless romantic. I was with the same person for, before Leah for 18 years, uh, two beautiful kids. And we had everything except a white picket fence, basically, right? And mm -hmm. throughout my monogamous um, life, I always had questions that were kind of like, Ooh, I really like this other person. Ouchies. I can't do anything about that. Okay. Keep mm -hmm. it moving. And I just kept on doing that. And as years passed, you know, I realized that some of my needs were getting met and some of my needs were not getting met. So uh, at some point, I, I think it was a show on HBO called big love. You may have heard of it. Um, it was not about polyamory. It was actually about polygamy, which we can explain later is totally different. Different, right? But it showed it showed in that situation a man living with three wives. It was more mm. about the Mormon religion and all of that, and that opened up my mind. Mm -hmm. And then I went on kind of like a scavenger hunt of trying to sort out like what is what's possible. And I ended up reading a bunch of books and watching another show called Polyamory Married and Dating on Showtime. And all these books and this show inspired me. So I started a conversation with, with my now ex-wife. Mm. You can guess how that turned out. <laughs> um, so we talked and talked and talked. And eventually we, you know, we, we moved through variations of polyamory or non-monogamy. And about seven or eight months after opening up our marriage, she asked me for a divorce which was heartbreaking, um, obviously, because I was, I loved her. I loved our family. I didn't want anything to change, but this path was not for her, mm -hmm. but it was for me. And I couldn't still at that point understand why, mm -hmm. but later, it, ironically, maybe three years later, my ex-wife came to me and said, Hey, uh, I'm studying all this stuff. And there's this guy, Tony Robbins, and he's got these six core human needs. Check this out. And I'm like, Ooh, interesting. Okay. And then kind of like a light bulb went off and I was like, wow, six core human needs. You want to feel safe and seen and loved and you want to have variety, growth and service. Six core human needs. I had the first three when I was monogamous, mm. but the strategy of monogamy, and I call it now a strategy because it shouldn't be by default, 
didn't meet my needs for variety, growth, and service. Not in that relationship, not under those circumstances. So mm-hmm. then I finally realized why I, I became really happy being polyamorous. And I found partners that I connected with and, and had relationships with. They also thrived in different ways. And I realized it was because our need for variety, growth, and service were simply better met with the strategy of a conscious open relationship. Mm-hmm. And there's, I could write a book about you know, the last 10 years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'll let Leah tell her story too. But today, end of story, um, I live with Leah. I live with Chrissy. They're two of my partners. We've been together for five years. We've been living together for about four. Also, by coincidence, my ex-wife lives with us too. And there's also another gentleman who joined our household about a month ago. It's pretty new. Uh, And then there's three kids between us and two rescue cats and two dogs and a fish. fish. I'm just I'm just getting this vision of like a giant compound. (laughs) It's not that giant. It's not that giant. but it's enough. But, but we've got space and we've got mm-hmm. different divisions in the house and stuff. So yeah. it works. We're really, really lucky. And what we found, and Leah can speak more to this too, is that it's not just about who you're having sex with. For us, the style of non-monogamy, as you can see, is communal. And there are so many beautiful aspects. It's like It's like a, a modern day hunter-gatherer tribe. And it turns mm-hmm. out that our true nature lies in the foraging tribes that that we were for 95% of human existence, right? Mm. We don't realize that, you know, that our, our, our civilized world is pretty new and this mm-hmm. nuclear family model is very new, but we think of it as like the only way, right? Mm-hmm. So we have benef- parenting benefits, financial benefits, emotional mm-hmm. benefits. There's so many lovely things when you live in community with, with so many helping hands and so on. So mm-hmm. anyhow, um, that's my, yeah. my intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just want to take that in for a minute. The, what I just love about this, um, is yeah, the idea of community, mm-hmm. you know, and how that's actually how we were as civilization, <laughs> from the beginning. Right. And now we've created this nuclear family structure, which is the norm. Yeah. But you're, I really hear the, the power of just bringing it back to community. Yeah. Well, what's Uh, interesting about what you're saying, Kaylin is I'm not so sure that the nuclear family is becoming the norm anymore. It's mm, beginning to transmute into the blended mm -hmm, family. Right. A community on its own, but in consecutive loverships rather than simultaneous, where something has to break in order for the community to expand, which is what our our experience has been. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it seems like in our society now, what what do you have? You have a mishmash of these blended families mm-hmm. with all their triggers and challenges and logistical headaches of transporting kids constantly between homes. I mean, 
40 to 50% of people divorce. There's so many kids being transported every day, mm-hmm. you know, fighting over money, three days on, four days and, on, yeah. week on, week off, vacation, so much logistics to try to figure out between houses, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I forgot my gaming station. I got to go back home now or, you know, <laughs> all these headaches that, you know, yeah. you and I have to experience because we, we have, you know, we, we co-parent. We have that blended family too. Yeah. Or you have, you have, um, a singledom epidemic, right? I think 40 to 50% of Americans are single, right? Mm -hmm. And talk about the impact of that alone. So yeah, I would like to say that that community is is such a beautiful thought. Mm -hmm. And I think we should all be working to put more action towards that being a a real, you know, have a seat at the table in terms of uh, an alternative way of, of, of structuring life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I had I actually I actually lived in a community house when I came to Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah, and um, and you know, just such a transformative experience. You know, to be uh, I had lived alone for seven or eight years in New York, and then I went from you know that to living with a handful of people here in Los Angeles, and opened up so much. Yeah. Um, so much too, right? Oh my gosh. You know, I just, <laughs> some of my roommates that triggered me have become my greatest teachers and gifts. Mm. What yeah. a great you know? positive attitude towards that. <laughs> and sometimes it takes some time to see that, right? Um, well, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, Leah. Sure. Thanks. So Similar origins as Shai, where I was great at monogamy and, you know, had some instances where I helped someone in infidelity on their side and had tremendous shame and guilt and was very like bound to the vows that I made in church in front of my family and God. And um, Mm -hmm. I was married for 12 years and even at the happiest that I was in that those relationships, I was inevitably drawn to other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I had the same effect, like, man, why really one person, one for the next 60 years? Like I, I really, I really was questioning. So in my mind, you know, I eventually got separated in my mind. I thought, well, I'll just be a serial monogamist because I didn't know there was any potential, any other alternative, but I was like, I'm definitely not committing for life because I get bored easily and stuff just runs dry. So about three weeks after my separation, I do ayahuasca for the first time. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Hadn't done any plant medicine like in that last 20 years or so. Mm. Um, and not ceremoniously and had my mind blown open like this window was open <laughs> and in that window i met shy on an online dating site called meet mindful it's for like Frenchie granola fun you oh mean. yeah really i think great. i've heard of this one <laughs> yeah it's great and a few days earlier, I would have completely like been a no to even talking to him. But for some reason, I just felt open. And he was the first person I talked to online. And the first person I went on a date with in 12 years. 
And he revealed really early in the process that he was polyamorous, that he had a full live-in partner, that he was living with his ex-wife, but not involved yeah, that yeah. way. And my brain, my brain was like, is this what people are doing now? Twelve years changed so much. <laughs> what did I miss? I guess so. <laughs> You're so, like, I know I've been out of the game, but wow. <laughs> catch up. So, you know, a couple of things happened when he revealed kind of his truth to me, mm-hmm. which was first this like total disgust because I had this image that many people have that it's just a commune with pregnant women running around. Oh right yeah. There and one dude like lording it. Uh-huh. <laughs> the big sheriff around the parts and stuff. Right. And, you know, I had all of that in my mind, but I couldn't ignore the fact that something about it felt natural to me. And I had already kind of rewilded myself in a lot of ways with nutrition and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I had realized that our modern way of living is a huge mismatch for how we've evolved. Mm hmm. And then I also remembered that I'm a tremendously jealous and possessive person. And I was like, I feel like this would be horrible <laughs> sometimes. And, you know, I kind of didn't really give the, that piece of it mm. and, um, the, the respect that mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, like now I would in retrospect, but our connection was so strong and so deep right away. It was so cosmic. That I just, I I was like, this was maybe the growth path that I've been seeking mm-hmm. after feeling really stagnant for a long time in my marriage. So it was a whirlwind romance. We moved, not anything typical to what I normally do. We moved in quickly. We changed a lot of things quickly. And my template for love had to just like completely let go overnight and, and adapt. Mm. And when we met Chrissy, um, it was kind of the dark night of the soul that I was wondering if that kind of thing would be because we went from not just being a couple who was opening and having some experiences, but that is kind of going to be the extent of it. He, Chrissy became his full primary partner, equal in priority to mine very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I had absolutely no blueprint, no support other than what he provided, but no outside support, no guidance for this situation whatsoever. Got it. And it and was, let me, very- do you mind if I just pause you for a go, second, go ahead. just yeah. to um, make sure that everybody is following this story. Sure. <laughs> so um, let's just, uh, let's, for those who have not heard the term, like p- pr- the term primary, let's just mm-hmm. define that for people. If you're willing. Yeah. Primary partner is what we normally think of like a domestic partner, a spouse, someone who is the highest priority relationship where they get the bulk of your time and, you know, the priority is on each other. Got it. Okay. So you all of a sudden were in this position where you're in a polyamorous relationship and you're like, hold on, this woman has the same priority as me. That's right. And I imagine that was very confronting. Um, it, it was kind of like, what I'll say is that if she wasn't who she is, she's the yeah. most amazing, generous, kind, 
lovable woman I've ever met. She's like the most important woman in my life. And I adore her. Mm. If, it, if she weren't who she was, balancing that with this sort of feeling that like this minefield was suddenly revealed to me of all of the programs that I had been indoctrinated with over the last mm. 10,000 years of yeah. what it means to not be the wife and not be the most important and have to like shelf my needs and like, mm-hmm. you know, this person hangs out with us with our kids. Like it was just so many programs that were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a lot. And it took a lot of communication and collaboration, but there was so much love that mm-hmm. that always won out. I will say. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then you, it sounds like you went down a path of really gaining more tools and resources and support from there. Right. Right. So when I, I was, as I was trying to kind of find my purpose of all of this, cause I always think there's a purpose to everything. Mm-hmm. I've kind of become the, the champion for the anxious, stressed folk in open relationships with a lens on traumatology and the attachment system of really understanding the blueprints that people are working with mm-hmm. because so much pain people are experiencing because they don't know themselves that well. Mm-hmm. And this has been the most profound spiritual path of coming to know ourselves. Like we've just, we've explored <laughs> so many angles. There's so many caves that you can't imagine, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what this path has took me down. And because of my struggle in this, not only have I healed so much myself and known myself, but I lo- we love to be able to help people understand themselves better from those lenses so that this doesn't have to feel so painful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, so now that we sort of have a little foundation of, of your stories, I just, um, I think the thing I want to say and just acknowledge is the, the bravery and the courage (laughs) (laughs) that it takes to say, to really question the model of what's out there Mm -hmm. and see something for yourself and not be able to fully know what it is and, and, you know, just being in process with it. I mean, that takes something, something that I I think most people don't have, you know, a lot of people don't have the range and the capacity for that, you know? Um, So I just want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Thank you. You I think both of us in a way were shown by life Mm -hmm. that there's something beyond the veil of the conventions that society, like the blueprint that society gave us. And we kind of looked, we got a peek beyond that veil in different ways, which really made us question all the ways that we were living Mm -hmm. our life by default. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Well, um, will you speak a little bit to the, um, the ethical part of this, because again, I I think I'm out to sort of debunk some of the, um, some of the mysteries and the misconceptions around, uh, polyamory. Um, so will you speak to that? Like what the ethics of it, what it looks like for you and what that means to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I think, uh, 
I'm going to, I'm going to tie in a thought to this question, which is a bit of a disclaimer too. When I was first getting into this, I was reading all the books and I was like, oh, polyamory is the way everybody else is wrong. Mm. Right. It was just like, I was on that. And I, and, and I just want to say that I've, I, I evolved as I evolve on many things. And really what we're about is promoting and standing for conscious relationships. Yeah. And the conscious relationships, I think, have many different strategies you can take. But what conscious means is really important. Mm. The word conscious gets thrown around a lot in spiritual communities <laughs> and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> For me, being conscious is being aware. And mm -hmm. being aware of what? What do you want to be aware of when you're in a relationship with someone, which makes mm -hmm. you conscious, is each other's core human needs, right? What? How is your partner feeling safe emotionally, physically, uh, financially, right? Is your partner feeling seen and significant for all the good that they are? Is the love and connection that they're getting the kind of love and connection they need and want and desire? Are we aware of our own core human needs there and of our partners? Mm -hmm. And then to make things more complicated, does our partner have the kind of variety that they need in life to thrive? And do we? Mm. And then the needs of our spirit, our growth and service, is our partner and are we growing intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, erotically, professionally in, mm. the, in the container of this relationship? And then mm -hmm. last, is our partner and are we in deep service and contribution to the world? Is this relationship inspiring that, right? Mm -hmm. So when you mm. think about these, these needs, you start to be, have a more conscious relationship and have real conversations about everybody's desires, fantasies, needs, whatever those might be. And that is what I think makes a relationship conscious. Now, if two people choose that the strategy of monogamy gets all of their needs met, great. That's a conscious monogamous relationship because you've had the conversations right. and, and some mm -hmm. people do. And then some people come to the realization that something on the non-monogamy spectrum, the ethical non-monogamy spectrum mm -hmm. um, works for them. And there are many variations we can, we can talk about um, and I can explain later, but um, ethical is like, okay, we're both agreeing to monogamish or polysensual or polyfidelity or uh, not that we expect you to know what any of those. I'm not gonna, <laughs> yeah. I just want to tease people, your audience. Q, Q, P, Q <laughs> people Googling. Right. I'm just going to tease your audience with a bunch of terms like a don't ask, don't tell open relationship or. Oh my God. Right? Or going so, to strip yeah. club. Like, right. <laughs> so there, there's many, there's many variations. And by having a conscious relationship, you get to figure out, okay, let's, let's talk every month and let's see where your needs are, where my needs are. And how can we come up and create the strategies, relational strategies, or any other strategies that can get both of our needs mm -hmm. met more. Nothing's ever perfect, but met more. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what makes it ethical, I think, is what makes it conscious is having these conversations and not being afraid to tell your partner that, you know, you, you have feelings for someone else. Oh, yes. Just that alone. The um, I mean, just the bringing out your desires and being able to create a space where you can say your desire and not be scared. Right. And not have it mean something about your partner. But it's just it's just your desire that I think alone can be such a game changer in relationship. 
completely. If I could revise marriage vows with just one line, it would be something around sure till death do us part and asterisk. I'm not dead inside now that we're married. <laughs> oh my God. My hormones and my eyeballs have not shut off because there's a ring on my, they're not blocking. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, that yeah. brings up, that brings up, um, I think a really interesting thread to this conversation, um, which is, you know, jealousy and envy, you know, so I want to, in a minute, I want to shift and I know you all have sort of some questions that people can ask themselves, you know, before they even begin considering this, but I want to follow this thread of jealousy for a minute. <laughs> Um, let's see, what do I want to ask? I mean, I just think jealousy is so hot. Um, but <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that. Jealousy is so hot. That's a great reframe. I just, the, I mean, the way that I have learned to work with jealousy in relationship, right. Is to really, um, bring it into my body and feel all of the heat and the sensation of it, you know, and then to like alchemize that, you know? Ooh, ooh, um, good word. So that's a, that's a powerful thing you just said. I really want to lock that in because yeah. your you, you or your audience may not realize this, but there's just like there's a grand schism right now mm -hmm. between monogamy and polyamory or, or everything else. Yeah. There's actually a schism inside of the non-monogamy world of whether jealousy is this useless, destructive demon emotion that should be obliterated, or if you mm -hmm. feel it, get out. Yeah. Versus what you just said is this opportunity to alchemize, to learn to have it be a compass and a teacher to direct us to where the healing is begging. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I would love to hear just about how, like your experience with jealousy, um, what you've learned about it, how you work with it and how you really like how you use it as a tool in relating. Oh my gosh, that's a 10 day question. I mean, I mean, I know that I know I just asked, but I did the thing I tell, I used to train new coaches. And I always would tell them, don't stack your questions. You know, I did the very thing, but you, I just have so much desire. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, it, I know you want to talk about the five questions. Yeah, if yeah. I had, if there was a starting point, yeah, it would be to understand that contrary to what a lot of people say in this, this personal growth, spiritual realm, poly realm, jealousy is not a character flaw mm -hmm. or a defect. Yeah. A signal, it's an SOS from the psyche and the body that it's signaling that they're trying to help you avoid going into some pain that you've been in before and they don't want you going there again. So how can you explore that SOS? Because in a lot of ways that what we've learned, a lot of times jealousy is an inside job and lots of just mm -hmm. insecurity. And sometimes it's an outside job that there is a deficiency or some kind of breakdown in the relationship itself. It's not always just a figment of someone's mm. imagination. So I joke that it's an any and an Audi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't, you can't, you know, uh, like everything else in life, it's, you have to strike a balance, right? I used to be that guy that said, well, that's, mm. 
my partner's work. They need to work through their insecurities and their jealousies. And this is what yeah. they signed up for. Mm-hmm. And recently, a, an amazing book came out called Polysecure by Jessica Fern. We're always going to give mm-hmm. her a shout out. Yep. Yeah. And, um, she's actually part of our membership program and, and we love her. And she basically was the first person to write a book about the intersection of attachment theory and the nervous system and trauma and open relationships. So it's a very fascinating book, even for people who are not interested in, in, in polyamory. Yep. Right. She breaks down <laughs> attachment theory and 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 it is, it's an indicator, jealousy is an indicator that you are more on the anxious avoidant style, more mm-hmm. occupied avoidant. Uh, I'm sorry, anxious, I said <laughs> it, it wrong. It might be kind of hard to yeah, yeah, go yeah. into Going the terminology. To, terminology but, attachment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you're anxiously attached. There's an insecurity. Mm-hmm. There's an insecurity. Somewhere. Right. So, um, so yeah. So. I think that as far as jealousy goes, jealousy is kind of like the word, you know, mm-hmm. are you feeling jealous? It comes up all the time. Right. Which, which by the way, it's interesting. There are many definitions for jealousy. And some, if you look it up in a dictionary, envy and jealousy are somewhere intertwined as well. It's, it's pretty confusing. Uh, it's just a feeling of discomfort and fear that something will go wrong. Right. Or that you're going to lose something. You know, it, it's interesting the languaging that happens, especially in the different communities, where the most basic division between jealousy and envy is envy is the desire of something you don't have. Jealousy right, right. is the fear of losing something you do have. Certain people will say something that you think belongs to you, and it's this sort of like there's a shadow coming up there around right. ownership possession. You don't own people. You do <laughs> right. Well, you don't. And if you think back to the way that we lived a long time ago in these families of 150 people where children had 30 parents, Mm -hmm. all able to take care of them, maybe each person had 15 different lovers Mm -hmm. and, you know, a a base partnership of some kind, which is very common in modern tribes, you know. Of course, they maybe didn't feel it because there was no reason to. There were different concerns. You just had, they had different concerns. They had support and love every which way you turned. You were waking up to hundreds of eyes. That's not what's happening now. So what I think is happening with jealousy and open relating is we're trying to open this can of worms that we've had shut for 10,000 years where we're trying to adapt that nuclear structure of a couple to Mm -hmm. now partners aren't around each other nearly as much anymore Mm -hmm. unless everyone has a backup partner or two which many don't i personally experienced that and then that doesn't feel natural at all either Mm -hmm. so there has to be a gradual consciousness re-engineering that helps people step over into that brave space but that mm-hmm. still gets their needs met. You can get your needs not met in polyamory if right. you do it a certain you can, you way. Can, you can literally lose time with your partner that met your need for love and connection yep. and significance and, they don't. and safety, right? <laughs> like you're sleeping alone suddenly half half the week and there's not somebody to hold you. Mm-hmm. Something real has just happened relationally. It's not just an inside job. Uh, unless you want to train yourself to be good, really good at being alone, which feels unnatural. That's an option. It's an option. People do mm-hmm. that. Um, and partners don't just walk up off the street unless you're in like a highly urban area that's really like open minded yeah. and stuff. You know, if you're living out in 
the rural, <laughs> rural yeah. area. You're not walking up off the street into your house, you know? So right. Totally. Wow. So many, um, so many things to think about, but I, I love the, the distinction of, you know, it's an inside job at, at an Indian and an Audi, as you said, <laughs> you know, like looking at, okay, I have some stuff to own here and what actually works to meet my needs inside of relationship. Are there adjustments that we need to make? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. One, real quick. One of those adjustments that I'm realizing more and more now is community and mm-hmm. you know, making sure that your partner is surrounded. If you're going out, that your partner has somebody to be with or to talk to on the phone, at least like can, building community around you is, is like essential because you're essentially going, if you're going into polyamory, you're really going back to what I think is our true nature is what they had mm-hmm. in these foraging tribes, you know, yeah. for thousands of years, but they had these foraging tribes <laughs> around them. Right. Which yeah. made it easier because nobody was left alone as often as happens mm, now in yes. polyamory, where many people are trying to jump out of a nuclear family model into something that worked well in our history inside <laughs> of a foraging right. tribe, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. like, wait a minute, I'm at home watching, you know, you know, whatever on TV and you're out having a blast. I'm this, still eating bonbons by myself. This right. feels like before we met, you know. Yeah, <sighs> this feels like I'm I'm single again. What's the point of this? So yeah. So anyway, I just want to make that point that we're really finding community is this, an essential uh, ingredient. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, okay. So I want to, I want to just hear it straight from you. I know that you have uh, sort of a framework that you have people think through when they're inside of this question of, Hmm, maybe do I want to consider open relating? Um, and so I would love to, you know, hear your thoughts on that, sort of how you think about it and, and the, the tools that you use to walk people through when they are in the beginning stages of maybe I want something with open relating. (laughs) Yeah. So we have, we have a bunch of frameworks, but this particular one is the five critical questions that every person thinking about an open relationship or struggling inside of an open relationship should be asking. The first question is uh, why, like, why are they thinking about this as a strategy? Why are they using this as a strategy? You always want to know what your big why is um, and, and with anything in life, with any decision. So you you just kind of tune into your core human needs that we talked about earlier, feeling safe and seen and loved and being free to explore, you know, all the variety that the world has to offer so that you can grow and be in service. The second question is, who are you doing it with? So first it's why, but then who are you doing it with? Mm -hmm. And the who is so interesting because it's not just who you're considering doing it with. It is important to kind of build a vision around like, who's the ideal partner for the situation that we're interested in, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not just that. It's also asking, who are we on the inside? And developing that inner landscape is so critical. It's probably the biggest thing people don't do when they just open the fence and let the let the pain <laughs> rush in with yeah. missed boundaries and shadows and and all of the stuff. And I'd love to give like two little questions people can ask mm. themselves for this stage, which is, you know, how do you how are you affected if your partner 
describes a past sexual experience with someone. It's in the past, but it's amazing how elevated people can get over that. And that, that might be a sign. And then how do you feel when your partner checks someone out who's walking by in a restaurant? Like if there, if these kinds of things trigger anxiety, it is so crucial to begin exploring things like your attachment system or style, which there's lots of quizzes online you can do for that. And also things like your love languages, how you mm-hmm. take receive love so that you can help each other feel safe in your languages. So that's mm-hmm. part of the, the who is a big one. Right. And then the next, uh, the next question is when, when is an ideal time? Might not feel ideal ever for some, but <laughs> um, yeah, there are certain opportunities like someone's pregnant, maybe not the best time to reveal that you want to move your secret lover in. Um, or maybe some, not. May, maybe not. So, um, or a parent just died and you're bringing your lover and having sex with them during the funeral. <laughs> maybe not the this had not right. us but <laughs> these are real things that happen right um and you know what we experienced actually very recently was that we had a series of experiences last year that kind of tanked my nervous system despite my best efforts it kind of brought all of what we were working with to the surface at the same time mm-hmm. What I realized this year was that to continue at the same rate with the same practices I don't know how I would have been able to really gain my footing. So something Jessica Fern talked about in her book, she calls it the vessel, but we call it a poly pause because it's really temporary. <laughs> All these catchphrases. I'm I know, right? So into it. The poly pause. Okay, go ahead. Our own dictionary. We, yeah. we, we do a glossary. And the poly pause was really about him making a conscious decision on his own to pause his activities for the first time in five years so that I could kind of gain my footing. It's kind of like if you break your arm, you can't really heal it. If you keep mm-hmm. using it, you have to take the weight off of it. Get some rest. So we let myself rest for a bit and it was a transformative period because it was temporary. And I did a profound amount of inner work, including professional therapeutic support and some plant medicine as well because I had no intention of keeping that as the, the mm-hmm. state forever. I just needed a space. And sometimes if it's not used as a weapon to try to get someone to be that permanently, it can be really helpful mm-hmm. to reset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so once you sort out the first three questions, uh, why are you doing it? Who is ready, willing, and able to do it? Mm-hmm. And when, in terms of timing, of opening, closing, somewhere in between, transitioning, once you answer those three questions, they actually will inform the mm. fourth question, which is which style? People think that it's black and white, like you're either open or closed. It turns out that, you know, closed is just closed. <laughs> but yes. open means that you've got all different it's like a lego set you build your own you can you can be monogamous you can be polysensual poly affectionate don't ask don't tell poly communal poly like so many variations so based on those answers let's just say there's some trauma history for the partners let's just say that um you know both are anxiously attached 
you may not want to jump into like what we did, which is full on primary, co-primary relationships. You might want to be monogamish for a while, or you might want to go into the swinger lifestyle, for example. Those are on the non-monogamy spectrum, but they're not quite polyamory, which is a bit more complex and it involves a metamor relationship. Another term, which is like if Leah has a partner and she has me, me and her other partner are metamors. So that's one distinguishing factor of polyamory for a lot of people is that you build relationship between the brothers, the sisters, whatever the case might be. So, so that those are the first four. And the last five, the fifth question is how, like, what are you doing to set yourself up for success? What tools are you taking in? What books are you reading? What mindsets are you picking up? What trauma healing are you taking on? What trauma healing modalities? Uh, what guides or coaches are you hiring? What therapists are you hiring, right? Professional psychotherapists who um, will support you and not judge you for wanting to have an open relationship. Uh, how, are you, how are your friends and family reacting? How are they supporting you or not supporting you? Um, so those are the five critical questions that we've come up with to help people kind of like, okay, I've got a, a blueprint, a roadmap of how to move through this. Mm. I, uh, I, I love the sort of like holistic nature of it. You know, it's not just like, oh, are we going to do this? Right. There's so many pieces to consider and to look at. And I just imagine too, for people who are flirting with this idea even if they don't end up opening the relationship, the process of actually having those conversations, I imagine Mm -hmm. could be quite transformative. Oh, if I could just say one quick thing, if every relationship monogamous or not learned how to start sourcing security and safety, not based on what our partner does with other people, but rather what's mm-hmm. happening inside the relationship, we would see a huge change in oh, success. Yeah. Well, really taking responsibility for your own security and safety. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love that. Together too. And, and uh, speaking of holistic and holistic approach, I just want to share a little bit about our program. Um, if this is a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to open it up as we uh, as we start to wrap up. Um, I know you have a community, you have different programs. Um, so I would love for you to share what you have coming up. For sure. Yeah. Um, so what we came up with was we realized that there were five pitfalls that those for those that are in open relationships and struggling or thinking about going into open relationships. And um, again, everything comes in fives with us. I'm sorry. <laughs> But we found that the number number one, like people don't have the community, right? They're surrounded by friends and family. When they have problems in their polyamorous relationships, they're like, then why are you doing it? Why are you doing polyamory if it's so upsetting to you, right? They don't understand the journey. They don't understand that, that, that polyamory is a growth vehicle. So having community or not having community is a pitfall. Another pitfall is that they don't have the education. They think they can get everything in books or podcasts. But, you know, having coaches who are knee deep in this, um, having uh, education is important. Um, The third pitfall 
um, is that they don't realize that, that in order to do this well, you need to deal with trauma healing. You can't ignore your nervous system. You can't just go into it. Oh, we'll just open up our relationship and ignore that we all have trauma history. We all have abandonment issues, but there's a lot of us do. The, the fourth pitfall is that dating is really hard as a polyamorous per person. People don't realize you can't just go on any old dating site like match.com be like, I'm polyamorous. Give me a call. <laughs> like, it's just like the rejection rate yeah. is super high. And then the fifth yeah. pitfall is that there is a truth to like, if you have a lot of lovers, you're spreading yourself thin and you're not necessarily mm -hmm. able to satisfy more than one person. Right. So what we came up with was kind of like the five pillars or strategies to, to, to deal with these five pitfalls. So um, at leveleduplove.com slash forward slash VIP, we created uh, a program that deals with all five. So we have um, a high touch community on Facebook outside of our super big community. We have a smaller, higher touch with all of our coaches. We have monthly immersions for three hours with Jessica Fern, the author of Polysecure, and Derek Hart, and Leah, and myself, and others, where we do like a, a deep dive into Q&As and presentation and emotional attunement and communication work. So that's one, of, one part of the membership. Then we have a trauma release exercise class for 90 minutes every month to work to begin the healing process. We also have a poly speed dating salon that's included once <laughs> a month as well. That's we just had our first one, which is amazing. And then we have a tantra, a live tantra demonstration class because we think that tantra um, is a way of deepening connection with all your partners, becoming an amazing lover, but also addressing trauma using sexual energy. So it all this holistic approach is, seems to be like a real big, big win. And if you want to learn more about it, if your viewers do, leveleduplove.com slash VIP. Awesome. Um, well, thank you so much uh, for being here. Any, uh, any last words that you want to share? <laughs> um, you're not alone. <laughs> no matter what you're wanting, you're not alone. And the key is to really find the resources and the support mm. to help through whatever decision, whatever vision you have for your relationship with something for you. Mm. Amazing. Well, um, thank you both so much uh, for being here and just bringing your wisdom and your generosity. Um, I, uh, I really, really appreciate it. And I know there's so many little nuggets in here that I think will be really valuable for my audience. No, oh, thanks for thank having you. us. We're really honored. My pleasure. All right. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you got something from this episode, please share it with someone in your life and pop on over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. I'm so committed to more people custom creating their sex, relationships, and lives from desire. And this podcast is a big part of that. If you have ideas for the show or want to learn more about working with me as a coach, head on over to my Instagram at Kaylin McDuff or my website, kaylinmcduff.com. 
See you next time.